now we're going to get into it. Uh, today we are in our fifth and final week of a series on the Holy Spirit. Have you enjoyed the series so far, by the way? Those of you who've been here, I hope so. Hopefully it's been really, really helpful. If you haven't been here, the goal of this series has been simple. We set out in week one to clear up many of the misperceptions surrounding the Spirit of God. You see, I have found that in churches like ours, people tend to know about God the Father, and they know quite a bit about Jesus the Son, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, people are really confused. And so as a result, they tend to go in one of two directions. They either get really weird, and they start doing strange, unbiblical things, all in the name of the Holy Spirit that he's not responsible for, or they avoid the Holy Spirit altogether to avoid becoming one of those weird people, right? Uh, I told you that at the church I grew up in, we were like the latter church. We rarely, if ever, talked about the Holy Spirit. And when he did come up in conversation, people would usually get really nervous. <laughs> and they would say things like, hey, be careful. Don't get too carried away with all that Holy Spirit stuff. Listen, I, I realize now at this point in my life, that was nothing more than a fear-based response to the bad packaging often associated with the Holy Spirit. And my hope and prayer for our church is this, that we would refuse to be a people who allow bad packaging to keep us from the Spirit of God. Amen? Because here's the reality, and I hope you've seen this throughout the series, you and I desperately need the Spirit of God to be at work in our lives. In fact, living the Christian life is impossible without Him. And so if you've missed messages in this series, I really want to encourage you, go back and, and catch up on those. We have covered some really important truths that you need to know and you need to hear. But today, we're going to close this series out by talking about another really confusing topic. In fact, I had a sweet lady in our church email me a few weeks ago, and, and she said, hey, I can't wait for you to preach on this because I don't know what to believe about it. And, and, and I have to imagine there's a lot of us in the room that can probably identify with her. And so if you've forgotten what we're talking about, or if you're wondering what we're talking about, our topic for today is baptism with the Holy Spirit. Baptism with the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do to get us started is show you this baptism in the scripture so that you can see it and begin to understand what it is, all right? Uh, we're going to jump around in our Bibles a little bit today. So if you want to hang out with me and jump around with me, we're going to start in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, in Luke 3, we're introduced to a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. So in other words, he was the guy that God sent into the world to get people ready for the coming of Jesus. And so what we find in Luke 3 is John the Baptist getting people ready by preaching a message of repentance and baptism. Right? He's saying to the folks, in light of the fact that the Christ is coming, you need to repent so change your mind on sin, change your mind on God, turn from your sin, turn to him, and then be baptized. He's talking about water baptism here. Um, you need to be immersed. That's what the word baptism means, to be immersed. You need to be immersed in water as a sign or symbol of your turning back to God. Well, Luke, the writer, tells us that all these people who were coming to John and hearing him preach and being baptized that they started questioning and wondering, all right, is, is this guy John the Baptist, is he the guy we've been waiting on? Is he the Christ? Is, is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior, the one who's going to restore us back into a right relationship with God? Well, in verse 16 of Luke 3, John answers all those people saying, I baptize you, there it is, or I immerse you with water 
but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He's talking about Jesus here. So he says, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 1. Um, Acts, by the way, is also written by Luke, right? He wrote both of these books, and he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in both of them. Uh, but in Acts chapter 1, we find Jesus hanging out with his disciples. It's after his resurrection, but before his ascension into heaven. And he's already given his disciples their mission. Guys, I want you to go into the world, make disciples, make other followers of me. But then in verse 4, we read this. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so Jesus says to his disciples, listen, in a few days, I'm going to baptize you or immerse you with the Holy Spirit. Um, guys, you need to wait. The instruction was this, guys, you need to wait on that immersion before attempting to accomplish your mission. Now, if you go back to the book of Luke, in Luke 24, we find this same conversation being described. But Luke describes it there in a different way, and I want to show it to you. Uh, the Bible says this, then he, this is Jesus, opened their minds, the disciples, to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he continues, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so in Luke 24, we see Jesus again saying, okay, guys, you know your job. Your job is to go to the nations and to proclaim what the scriptures teach to be true about me. Uh, guys, you're witnesses of all these things, but then Jesus tells his disciples, but don't go yet. You just need to park it. You need to hang out here in the city of Jerusalem because I'm going to send the promise of my Father. And who's the promise of the Father? Say the Holy Spirit. Good job, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, look, you'll be clothed with power. So in Luke 24, Jesus describes this baptism or this immersion as a clothing of sorts. Right? He's just saying here, when the Holy Spirit descends upon you, he's gonna give you this power and it's almost gonna feel like you're wearing it. Now, why in the world was Jesus so adamant that his disciples wait on this immersion? Well, the answer becomes really clear when you go back to the book of Acts in chapter one and we looked at this passage earlier in the series, but here's what Jesus says in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, key word here, witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's the reality. Jesus knew that unless he immersed or baptized his disciples with the Holy Spirit, that they wouldn't have the power they needed to do what he called them to do. And so the instruction was, guys, hang out in the city. Don't go anywhere. Like, you need to go proclaim the gospel to the nations, but not yet. Uh, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, then you'll have the power you need to accomplish the mission that I'm giving you. 
And so don't miss this. According to what we see in both the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, the purpose of spirit baptism is power. Power. Power for ministry. Power for mission. Power to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Power to take the truth of the gospel to a hopeless and unbelieving world. And we see the truth of that reality in Acts chapter 2, don't we? I mean, if you were here earlier in the series, you may remember this. I won't go into much detail here. But when this promised baptism takes place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and God pours out his spirit onto his people, the sound of a rushing wind begins to fill the house where the disciples are hanging out. Fire starts to fall. That fire separates out into what look like little tongues, and those tongues come to rest on the disciples, and they all start speaking in these other languages. And then our boy Peter gets up, and he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ in one day. Pretty powerful if you ask me. Amen? Now, what I want to do at this point is I want to stop, I want to slow down, and, and I want to address a very, very important question. It's a question that confuses a lot of people, and the question is this. Is spirit baptism, as described by Luke, like what we just saw in both of these books he wrote, is spirit baptism, as described by Luke, is it the same experience as our salvation experience or are those separate and distinct experiences? Listen, I will tell you right out of the gate that different people answer that question in different ways. All right, in fact, very godly men and women who are deeply committed to the scriptures fall on either side of this debate. Uh, for example, I'll tell you, this message out of the entire series, this was probably the hardest one for me to write because so many people say so many different things about this. And and it was just fuzzy for me. Like, God, how do I make sense of all this for our people in a helpful way? Uh, but I read everything I could get my hands on. And three of the men that I read after are godly men who I respect and admire so much. A guy named Sam Storms, a guy named John Piper, a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mighty men of God who fall into the same theological camp I would identify with. Uh, these men call themselves reformed charismatics. I love that. Yes and amen. I can, I can get on board with that. But here's the deal. Uh, even though they agree on most theological issues, all three of these men have very different things to say about baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so my point is this. There is more than one orthodox accepted view on this topic and so if the view that I'm about to describe, if you disagree with it, uh, my only hope and prayer is that our disagreements wouldn't divide us. I will share with you that for most of my Christian life, I saw spirit baptism and salvation as the same experience. I mean, it's just what I was taught in the church I grew up in. You know, I told you I grew up in a church that didn't really talk about the spirit, uh, cessationist church, didn't really believe that all the gifts of the spirit were for today. And and so I was told the Holy Spirit does something in U.S. salvation, and then he's given us the scripture. So if you'll just trust in what he did and, and what he's given us, that's about all you need from him, all right? And, and so for a lot of my life, I was just really confused. Um, thought it was just one in the same. But as I've studied this topic more and I've sought out the scriptures for myself, I have become increasingly convinced that what Luke describes about spirit baptism, that it is a distinct experience from our salvation experience. And I want to make my case, so just stay with me. I right? do not check out on me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes about a baptism. 
And he writes about our baptism into the body of Christ. Here's what he says. For in one spirit, or depending on what translation you use, that word there might be the word by, for by one spirit. This tiny little Greek preposition, it's in, E-N, has created so much confusion around this conversation. So are we baptized in the spirit, or does the spirit actually baptize us? By him or in him? Don't get too hung up there, all right? But, but it is confusing. Uh, the Bible I preach from, the version, the ESV says, in, for in one spirit, we were all baptized or immersed into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, what is Paul describing here? Well, he's describing the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. You see, here's the truth. If you know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, the only reason you know him is because the Holy Spirit did a work in you. Amen? He convicted you of sin. He revealed what's true to you about Jesus. He drew you to God the Father. He regenerated and revived your dead spiritual heart. The Holy Spirit even gave you the faith you needed to believe in Jesus. Did you know that? Like you didn't come up with that faith on your own. No, the Holy Spirit gave you that faith as his gift to you. And so when you exercise that faith, according to what Paul says, the Holy Spirit, you were baptized or immersed in him, by him, into, look, not religious activity. You were immersed into a relationship with Jesus Christ himself, but also into a relationship with the body of Christ, a.k.a. the church. And so, again, Paul's teaching that when you get saved, uh, a baptism does take place. And we could even call that a type of spirit baptism. Plenty of people do. There's nothing wrong with labeling it that way. But regardless of the terminology that we use here, I am still convinced that what Luke describes and what Paul describes are two different experiences. You see, Paul's emphasis is on salvation. Luke's emphasis is on power for ministry. Paul teaches about what happens at the moment we come to faith in Christ, and Luke focuses on what happens when we go out into the world on mission. And so again, I would argue that spirit baptism as described by Luke is something different than our salvation experience. Now, I know for some of you in the room, depending on the church background you come from, I'm starting to make you really nervous right now. And you are already starting to assume certain things that I'm saying that I'm not saying, all right? Oh, James, where are you about to go with this, bro? Heard this before. Look, I need you to know what I'm not saying and because by, by understanding what I'm not saying, you can better understand what I am saying, okay? So let me show you what I'm not saying. And if you're taking notes, write these things down. Number one, I'm not saying that spirit baptism is you receiving the spirit later. That's what I'm saying. I'm not teaching right now that, that you come to faith in Jesus and, and you have this salvation experience and then later on down the road, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear on this. Romans 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. There is no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to know Jesus and, and to not have the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living inside of you, okay? The truth is, in the moment you put your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, and depending on where you fall theologically, some of you might even argue that it happens before that moment, but that's a different message for a different day. But at the moment you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes and he takes up residence inside of your body. 
And here's the, the thing, and you need to hear this, some of you, you don't just get part of the Spirit in that moment. You don't just get some of him. You get all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get and all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to need. Amen? And so I'm not saying that spirit baptism is you receiving the Spirit later. Uh, number two, and this should put some of you at ease, I'm not saying that spirit baptism is accompanied by tongues. The reason I say that it should put some of you at ease is because of conversations I had with a whole lot of people in our church last Sunday. Last Sunday, I preached on the gift of tongues, and I had a lot of people come to me and describe their church experience to me, and they said, James, I'm so glad you preached on this. Uh, I grew up in, in a more classic Pentecostal church, and so after my salvation experience, I had this other experience where this group of people came and they put hands on me. I had one guy even describe it as an attack, which was kind of interesting, but they put hands on me and they prayed very aggressively. And, and one person said, I even had people like tapping on my throat and kind of smacking me on the cheeks. They were doing everything they could do to get me to speak in tongues. Why? Why? Well, because in classic Pentecostalism, it's believed that the sign of spirit baptism is tongues. That if you've actually received baptism with the Holy Spirit, that the proof and evidence of that is you speaking in this other language. And if you wonder, well, what do they base that belief on? It's three passages out of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, where different groups of people receive the Holy Spirit and they respond by speaking in tongues. And so their conclusion is, well, if it happened like that for them, it must happen like that for all believers. But I want to caution us here for a few reasons. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write these few reasons down. But number one, I would caution us because it's really dangerous to draw conclusions like that from narrative passages of Scripture. It's dangerous because narrative isn't always normative. Let me just say that again. Narrative isn't always normative, meaning that while narrative stories in the Bible describe for us what happened in the past, they don't always prescribe for us what should happen in the future. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. Back in the book of Genesis, we find this dude named Noah building an ark for a flood that's coming. What we shouldn't do is read that story and go, oh, look, that dude built an ark. We should all build arks. We just need to be ready in case something happens. No, 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 that's just telling us a story about something that happened historically. That's not telling us what we need to do in our lives today. And so I would really caution us against saying, look, since those three groups in Acts spoke in tongues, that means all believers should speak in tongues. Can I tell you what I believe God's doing in those passages in Acts? And you can read for your own and, and study and check me on this. I believe God's using the gift of tongues in those passages as a sign to confirm for the Jewish people I am building my church, and the church that I am building is bigger than you. <laughs> Jewish people, you are my people, uh, but, but the new people that I am bringing together include other people as well, Gentiles and Samaritan people. Again, you go read your Bibles, and you check me on that, okay? Uh, the second reason I would caution us here is because nowhere in the New Testament are we taught that tongues is the sign of spirit baptism. It just doesn't say that anywhere. The primary sign of spirit baptism in the New Testament is what we've already mentioned. It's power, power. And so if you want to know, okay, well, have, have I experienced the Holy Spirit of God in this way? The question to ask is not, do I speak in other languages? The question to ask is, is my life characterized by power to be a witness for Jesus Christ each day? And then finally, I would caution us against believing this 
because of what we learned last week. 1 Corinthians 12, and, and I don't know that it could get more clear than this. Paul clearly teaches not everybody speaks in tongues. He just says it. Tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and while that gift is available for all believers, it's not a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to every believer, and so we can't believe that spirit baptism is accompanied by that gift. Number three, what I'm not saying, and this one is so important, so really lean in. I'm not saying that spirit baptism is a one-and-done experience. Key. It's not a one-and-done experience. Salvation is a one-and-done experience, right? Uh, So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you are immersed or baptized into a relationship with him and his church, you'll never be unimmersed out of those relationships. And so there's never a reason for you to be re-immersed in those ways again. It's one and done. I would say to you, water baptism is a one and done experience if it happens post-salvation. Some of you guys know this about me, but I'm a twice baptized guy. I got baptized for the first time when I was eight years old. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just a kid in church going, I think I'm supposed to do that, and so I'll do that. Well, it wasn't until 14 years old that I truly came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Prayed one night with my dad by my bed and trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. My life has has never been the same. Uh, But I've decided, you know what, I want to get baptized again. Because this time around, I actually understand what I'm doing. But there's never a reason for James Griffin from this point forward to get re-water baptized because baptism's just a symbol. It is an outward expression of an inward decision to trust in Christ. And it is so important that you hear me say that. Uh, I've had several conversations with people, even people within our church who have come to me and they said, James, I think I might get baptized again. All right, tell me about that. And then they'll go on to say something like this. Well, you know, I've just been really far from God for a while, and, and I feel like if I get baptized again, it'll put me back in right standing with God. Or, you know, I've just been a lot of sin in my life for a while now, and, and I feel like if I can get baptized, it'll wash away my sin, and, and it'll kind of be the reset button in my relationship with God. Can I just tell you, that's a wrong way to think about baptism. Water baptism doesn't accomplish any of those things. Jesus does, Amen. And so look, if you know Jesus and you've been water baptized, there's never a reason for you to get re-water baptized, even if your life has fallen apart. You don't go back to some tub, you just go back to Jesus, all right? That's it. But look, when I see spirit baptism in the scriptures, I see something very different than salvation and water baptism. As I've studied this, again, I don't see it as a one and done experience, an experience through which you receive all the power you're ever gonna need to live as a witness for Jesus in our world. Instead, what I see is this, that it is a series of ongoing experiences in which Jesus immerses you in the Holy Spirit of God to give you power to perform mission and ministry that glorifies and makes much of Jesus. So how cool is that? It it starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus baptizes you in the Spirit to give you power to do the work of ministry that honors and makes much of Jesus. How cool is that? And again, it's not a one-time thing. I think for some people, there's an initial experience that happens that's pretty overwhelming at times. For some people, that happens at salvation. I think for guys like me, that might happen a little later in life. Uh, I was that guy for a long time going, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit I was supposed to interact with. (laughs) 
So when I finally understood what the spirit of God lives in me, and I'm supposed to have a relationship with him, uh, I had experiences with the spirit of God in the beginning that forever left me changed. But again, it's not a one and done thing. It's a series of ongoing experiences by which you continue to receive power for the work of ministry. This is the pattern that I believe we see all throughout the book of Acts. But if you go back to Acts 1, Jesus promises this immersion. And then in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, when it happens in verse 4, that baptism is described as a filling. This is so interesting. God pours out his Holy Spirit onto his people. And verse 4 says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's confusing to you, think about it like this. Let's say you take a bucket out into the middle of the ocean and you immerse that bucket in the ocean. What happens to that bucket? It, it fills up with water, doesn't it? And so is that bucket immersed or is it filled? Yes, the answer is both. And I would say that the same is true when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus baptizes you in the very Spirit of God, the Spirit envelops you and he covers you and he surrounds you and you are drenched in him. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit of God fills you. And so as far as I can tell from the scriptures, baptism and filling go hand in hand. And so here's the pattern we see in Acts. And you again, go read your Bibles on your own this week, see if I'm lying to you. But the pattern we see throughout the book of Acts is men who were previously filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit are filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit again. Why? To receive power from Jesus through the Spirit of God to perform the work of ministry that honored Jesus. How cool is that? Listen, I, I want to tell you, I prayed for you before you showed up to church today. Um, I just had this sense that some of us were going to walk in this room very skeptical of this conversation. And I've often found that people are skeptical because of labels. And I think we always have to think about the Bible critically. But one of the things that God has revealed to me over the course of this series is this. There is a difference between critical thinking and skeptical thinking. And I was praying for you before you showed up today that when it came to this conversation that God would remove uh, uh, skepticism, doubts, and fears, and that throughout this message, God would birth in you this desire where you were just going, okay, I want that. Oh, even if I don't fully understand that, I want that. And so if you're sitting here going, well, James, I think I want it, but I'm still kind of confused on, on what you're preaching on. I want to make one final statement before we close about spirit baptism, and I pray this puts the whole conversation in perspective for you. Here's the statement, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Spirit baptism, believe this with all my heart based on what I see in the Bible, spirit baptism isn't you getting more of the spirit, it's the spirit getting more of you. Let me just say that again. Spirit baptism isn't you getting more of the spirit, it's the spirit getting more of you. You see, I think one of the reasons that so many people get confused in regards to this topic and this conversation is due to some of the terminology the Bible uses. Right? For example, I mean, you read Ephesians 5.18 that says, don't be drunk with wine, and, and that applies to any spirit uh, for that matter, right? Don't get drunk on any spirit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Here's the reality. If you want to get drunk, what do you got to do? You gotta keep drinking. And over time, that drunkness is gonna wear off. And so if you wanna get drunk again, you gotta keep drinking. Don't do that, by the way, all right? The Bible speaks against that. 
But the same applies to the Spirit of God. If, if you want the Holy Spirit to keep moving in your life and working in your life and influencing your life, you have to keep drinking in the Spirit of God. Be filled continually, is what Paul's saying there, with the Holy Spirit. But that's confusing, isn't it? Because just that word filled makes some of us wonder, well, does that mean like the Spirit's leaking out of my life somehow? <laughs> Like, is my body a hole with a bucket in it and the Holy Spirit's just kind of draining away so I just gotta just refill myself? No. That's not how it works. Again, the reality is, when you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, all of the Spirit shows up and He's there to stay. So it's not about you getting more of Him or less of Him. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that at times what happens is that the Holy Spirit of God just gets less of you. Let me put it in perspective, and, and this is gonna make sense to some of you, you're gonna get this. Um, don't oftentimes, we either do one of these two things. We fail to walk in submission or dependency to the Spirit of God, or we'll do well with that for a season, but then we'll go back and start taking certain areas of our lives back out of His hands. Have you ever experienced this? And I think we do it for different reasons. Some of us do it because of pride. I just think I could manage my life by myself just fine without him right now. Some of us do it to fear, due to fear, right? Uh, I've heard some strange things about the Holy Spirit character, and I just don't know if I want too much of him in my life right now. Can I just remind us, there's nothing to be afraid of. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird. They've made him weird. But he's not weird and he's not scary. There's nothing to be afraid of. He's God and we need him. Some of us do it, and this is gonna preach, I think, to, to many of us in the room, due to busyness. Come on, let's be real. Some of us in this room right now fill our lives every day with so many things that don't matter. And those things crowd out the very spirit of God from our lives. I think some of this, some of us do it uh, because of sin in our life. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the Spirit wants me to do. And then I think some of us are like I was for a long time. We do it out of sheer ignorance. What? There's a Holy Spirit I'm supposed to depend on? <laughs> a Holy Spirit I'm supposed to walk in relationship with? But listen, regardless of your why, the result is always the same. When the Spirit of God gets less of you, you end up living a very weak, powerless, defeated Christian life. Sin starts to overtake you. Joy seems to escape you. It's hard for you to praise God at times, to express gratitude to him. Like you walk into moments like this and you look around and you go, wow, these people are singing loud and they're lifting their hands. Why don't I feel like worshiping today? And ultimately, look, ultimately your life fails to serve its purpose as a witness for Jesus Christ in the world in which you live. And hear me, all that happens not because you've gotten less of the Spirit. It's because, in a way, the Holy Spirit has gotten less of you. And so what's the solution to that? What's the remedy for weak, powerless, purposeless, praiseless Christian living? You know what you need? Here it is. You need a baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. Man, growing up in, in church, I was that guy that often was told, if you're struggling and if you feel defeated, just read your Bible more. Just pray more. Just try harder. Just go to church more. And look, we should do all those things. These are beautiful gifts that God has given us. Um, but the problem is too many times we do those things just to do those things instead of doing those things for the reason God gave us those things. And what's the reason? 
to experience more of him in our lives. And so I just want to say to you, if you're that person who has shown up today and, and again, you're weak and defeated and powerless and you're going, man, how can I change this? You need Jesus to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. But not just once, you need him to do it over and over again throughout the rest of your life. Like I'll tell you, this is something I pray for all the time. <laughs> just this morning before I preached, I was just praying again, Jesus, immerse me. Cover me, drench me in your spirit. Jesus, fill me to overflowing. Last thing I wanna do is preach your word in my flesh. I wanna preach in the power of your Holy Spirit. And so give me the power I need to make much of you before these people I'll stand before today. I can tell you from my own experiences that the more the Holy Spirit gets of you, the more you start to experience him and his power in your life. I'll close with this. I love this quote from John Piper. He talks about this experience, and I love what he has to say. Christianity is not merely an array of glorious ideas. It is not merely the performance of rituals and sacraments. Here it is. Christianity is the life-changing experience of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. And so if you're that person in the room today who knows right now in this moment James, I need that. <laughs> what you've just described today, I need that. Maybe you need it for the first time ever in your life. If so, that's awesome. Or if you need it again, praise God, I'm, I'm grateful for you. But if you know what you need today, it's for Jesus Christ himself to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. I wanna help you right now in this moment to ask for that in faith. And so can we just bow our heads and close our eyes all across the room? I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places. And Christians in the room, just be patient with me for a moment, if you will. I wanna speak first to those of you who walked in today without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like maybe you're here and there's never been a moment in which you've just cried out to Jesus. Asked him to be your savior. Asked him to forgive you of of your sins to change your life, to give you eternal life. And you have walked in today feeling joyless and, and purposeless. And there's a lot of things in your life that are overtaking you right now that you cannot seem to escape. I just wanna say to you, your first step is to trust in Jesus. If you wanna experience all that we've talked about today, it begins with you trusting in him as your savior and Lord. And so if you need to do that, I would just encourage you right now in this moment, why don't you just pray quietly in your heart where you're seated and just say to him, Jesus, I need a relationship with you. Jesus, I believe that you are my savior, that you died on the cross to, to pay the penalty of my sin, that you rose from the dead three days later to defeat sin, death, and hell on my behalf. Jesus, I'm asking you that, that you would forgive me of my sins today, that you would take hold of my life, that you would change me, that you would give me eternal life with you. And Jesus, I'm asking you, would you immerse me in your Holy Spirit so that I can be the man, be the woman you've created me to be. Jesus, I say yes to a relationship with you with heads still bowed and eyes still closed all around the room. 
If you just prayed that with me, I, I wanna ask you to do me a favor. It'll require just a little courage on your part, but wherever you're seated, if you just prayed that with me, would you be willing to acknowledge that you made that decision right now by just lifting a hand wherever you are? James, that's me. Put my faith in Christ. I see your hand. Thank you so much. If you'll keep your hand up for just a moment, our prayer team's gonna come and put a resource in your hand, and as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, James, that's me. Put my faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord today. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Awesome. All right, Christian in the room. I'm gonna ask you to take a step in the next few moments that will require some boldness and courage on your part, but I think it matters that we take big steps of faith at times. And so here's the deal. If you're that Christian in the room and you're going, yeah, gosh, I feel defeated and I feel joyless and, and my purpose, I'm not living as a witness for Jesus Christ. There's so many things in my life that, that need to be different right now. And, and I truly believe that one of the things I need, James, is what you talked about. I need Jesus to immerse me in the Holy Spirit of God. If that's you right now, would you just stand to your feet wherever you are? Just stand up. Don't worry about who's sitting around you or what's going on around you. Just stand to your feet. Thank you so much. I, I know there's gotta be more than just a couple of us. Stand to your feet, just wherever you are, James. I need this. I need Jesus just to immerse me today. I need the Holy Spirit of God to get more of me today. If that's you, just stand to your feet, wherever you are. Listen, as you're standing, I want you to begin to pray and, and just pray something like this. Just tell him, Jesus, I'm throwing aside all doubts, all fears, all skepticism. I'm opening up my life to whatever you wanna do in me today. Jesus, you know what I'm lacking and you know what I need. And I'm confessing to you today that, that what I need from you is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, in this moment, would you immerse me? Would you cover me with the Spirit of God? Would you let him surround me, fill me? Jesus, I need the Holy Spirit to have more of me right now. Father, I, I pray over my brothers and sisters who are standing to their feet in faith right now. And God, I pray that you would honor their prayers, honor their faith. Jesus, that, that even in this moment, they would sense things shifting and changing in their lives that they would experience that clothing that Luke talked about. That they wouldn't just know that you're doing this, but they would experience the fact that you're doing this. That you're literally immersing them right now in this moment in your spirit. And I pray that what's happening in this moment right now, God would set them free in ways, would give them overwhelming amounts of joy, uh, mouths and hearts ready to worship and praise you. But more than anything, I pray that what's happening right now, that it would give them a power that they desperately need to live as witnesses in this world. Jesus, for your honor and glory. God, may this not stop today, right now, in this moment. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing along with the rest of us. 
Jesus, remind us each and every day to ask for this again and again and again and to depend on you for the power we need made available to us in the Holy Spirit. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for the great gift of the Spirit in our lives. Help us to be a people who walk in relationship with him each and every day. And we pray it in your name. Amen.